Hello friends, welcome back for another episode. If you're new here, Exit Point is a podcast that explores life through the lens of some of the world's most extreme adventure sports athletes. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we could use your support. Please consider subscribing on your favorite platform and leaving us a review. You can also donate. This is a passion project that's completely self-funded with no ads. If you would like to contribute, there's a link in the description. A big thank you for all your emails. Reading how past episodes have impacted your lives is the energy that continues to fuel this project. Today, I'm with Tristan Wimmer and Ben Patassi to talk about 22 Jumps. 22 Jumps is a nonprofit organization who, through base jumping, are raising awareness and support for military service members and veterans who have suffered traumatic brain injuries. I've heard a lot of great things about what 22 Jumps has been doing, and I'm looking forward to hearing about it in detail. So without further ado, let's get them on the track. Ben, you're a longtime friend, jumping partner, and Tristan, we're just meeting now for the first time, uh, and uh, we had a little bit of a preliminary conversation, and I got wind of 22 jumps through Ben when him and his wife came and stayed with us in France a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it seemed super interesting and exciting, uh, so I wanted to get you on and talk a little bit more about that and uh, have you explain it for us. So welcome, Tristan. Welcome, Ben. Um, maybe we could just start by introducing yourselves and then we can go into an explanation of what it is that you're doing. Sure. Let me go first. Cause I'm sure. I think Tristan's going to have the, the more in-depth uh, in- introduction. Uh, yeah, I've started, uh, started jumping skydiving civilian in, uh, 2004 and did that with the explicit goal of becoming a base jumper, uh, became a, a base jumper in late. 2009 and uh from there kind of branched out into you know wingsuiting within skydiving and base jumping and speed flying um had the opportunity to live in europe for a couple years and have direct access to the alps close by for for three years so that was really nice and had some awesome friends to make sure i didn't kill myself present company mostly included and uh I also have a background in the military working with explosives um, in the in in one of the special operations communities. And so I have firsthand experienced some of the effects of TBI due to explosive concussion and have seen its effects on other folks as well. And uh, was also previously a medic, so got to see that kind of from the inside of the military medical machine as well. And, um, that's me. Great. Thanks for that. That's thanks for that background. Um, let's uh, go over to Tristan now. Hey, uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on Uh, pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, Ben, Ben reached out to me and, and wanted to set this up and obviously I'm, I'm aware of exit point podcast. And so I was very excited to be on. So thanks for, thanks again for having me. Um, yeah. So my name is Tristan Wimmer. Uh, I've been skydiving since 2009. Uh, my progression into base was was very fast. Um, I started base jumping in 2010. Um, you know, not what I would not what I would advocate for to be like uh, the ideal pr- progression. My mission was to become a base jumper as fast as I could, uh, primarily to to build memories with, with my brother who who had already started base jumping a couple of years prior. Um, uh, I, I was a marine. 
uh, infantryman, uh, scout sniper team leader, um, was also a private military contractor and uh, a volunteer SAR medic. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of experience, many, a lot of deployments under my belt, um, you know, a lot of experience with concussive forces and sort of experiencing and then, and then treating the long tail effects of traumatic brain injury. Um, so 22 jumps is, is something I started in memory of my brother, uh, Kiernan Wimmer, Sergeant Kiernan Wimmer. He was, uh, he was a, Mar uh, a recon Marine and a MARSOC Marine and suffered a, uh, a pretty massive traumatic brain injury in Al Ambar, uh, in 2006, um, really kind of like instantly sort of degraded his quality of life. Um, and you know, I, I kind of watched him come apart at the seams over nine years and he ultimately took his own life in 2015. Uh, I was actually in Afghanistan when I got the call from my mom. Um, and I could quit that day and came back to the States and, um, you know, it was, it was a really, really tough, uh, period for me, uh, sort of having losing that sort of part of me. So, yeah, so I struggled for like two years and, and then sort of at the end of that two years was looking for a way to honor him and, and then sort of created 22 jumps. Man, that's, uh, that's heavy. I have a brother, a younger brother, and I can only imagine, uh, being in that position and, uh, feel for you, man. Cause, uh, and I, and I also understand like wanting to create memories and experiences together. And like, you went so far as to do, you know, participate in one of the most dangerous sports in the world, just so you could do that. And, uh, so hats off to you, man, really, uh, really, and really a, a pleasure to have you here as well. I want to um, ask you a little bit about uh, like some of the circumstances around the the injury that he sustained because um, I was reading a little bit of the literature that you had passed on to me and uh, he was you know I don't have any military background but it sounded like he was behind uh, a shoulder mounted rocket or or and uh, it just wasn't the procedure hadn't been followed correctly is is that right Yeah yeah uh, that's, that's a nice way to put it um yeah, so basically they they were on a combat mission, and so the same thing happened to me in two thousand five. We were uh, we were rolling around. We were, we were attached to force, and sort of we you know at the time the Marine Corps needed uh, sort of a smaller diameter rocket for sort of employment in urban environments. So um, you know the AT four was great, but it, it almost kind of packed a little too much punch in some of those cities. Um, and so we were looking for a solution, and so they they broke out a bunch of the old law rockets that they had in deep storage. And, but there wasn't really a, a good plan to sort of integrate them. Uh, they sort of just showed up on pallets. Um, like one day they just kind of showed up on, like we had an air, we had an airdrop with a bunch of MREs and a lot of rockets and they were like on a pallet and they're like, these are law rockets and like put them in the truck. And so we had a really quick like prac, prac app and, you know, it was very, very like, you know, snap range on the side of a road and, and all Ambar, like learning how to use them. And, um, there's almost the same thing for, for my brother. They were actually on a mission and apparently they pulled off the side of road to sort of like <laughs> to learn how to use them um, because they kind of like, Hey, we might actually need to employ these on this mission. So we might, might want to learn how to use these things. Um, and the range was just kind of set up not correctly. And the guy who was in charge of the, the ordinance mixed in live rockets with dummy rockets. And then, um, and so it, my, it was basically like a school circle sort of, Hey, like, you know, this is how you like charge a law rocket. This is how you fire a law rocket. And then he went to go like demonstrate how to fire it. It actually went off. Uh, and my brother happened to be like kind of ate the entire cone of, of that, uh, of that law rocket to the side of the face. So, um, you know, uh, brain swelling, facial bone fragmentation, secondary fragmentation or 
uh, facial bone fractures, secondary fragmentation, brain swelling, you know, uh, blowing out eardrums, like the whole thing. So, uh, rushed to Balad and then rushed to Rammstein and then long recovery and Walter Reed and, uh, and Bamsey here in San Antonio. So, yeah. So when you got that phone call, you were in Iraq as well. No, I was, I was actually, uh, I was actually in between deployments. I, I was, I was out in CACS, which is out in 29 Palms preparing for another deployment. Um, when I got the call, one of the it's like kind of serendipitous, one of my, one of my seniors, um, he was, he, he ended up staying in, but he was in the process of getting out. And so it, I'm sure it, it's the same for all services, but if you basically, if you declare like, Hey, um, on my intention is to get out, they typically stick you in some sort of, sort of like kind of waiting job where, you know, like I was a lifeguard and I, and I ran the MTU, which is like the marksmanship training unit for first Marine regiment when I was getting out. My, my buddy, he ended up going to Mainside and he was doing all the casualty, like in processing data paper or data work for like, you know, Marines that were deployed that were, um, that were, you know, that were casualties. He would basically be like the data, data processor for that. And he saw my brother's name come across the screen and he, he actually uh, gave me a phone call. So I, I got a phone call from him before I ever found out through the official channels that something had happened. And I, you know, obviously I was like, Hey, like what happened? And he's like, I don't, I don't have any. I don't have any information. I just know he's being, he's in Balad now. He's being rushed to Rammstein and he's coming stateside. I, I, that's all I know. I, I know he's alive. That's what I know. And so found through official channels within the next couple of days, sort of found out, didn't find out what, I didn't actually find out what actually happened until years after the fact, you know, um, I think it sort of messed with my brother's psychology and I had heard that it, it really messed with, um, you know, the person who ultimately fired the rocket was, you know, felt really bad about it. He, he thought he had a trainer rocket, you know, um, and so it really messed with him too and um, sort of damaged some of the cohesion in the unit as well for them. So uh, a lot of pain all around on that one. Um, and uh, yeah, so I actually didn't, I didn't know the full details of what happened until actually fairly recently, like within the last year, um, just a lot of tight lips, a lot of, a lot of obfuscation in terms of what actually happened. And my brother was just never very sort of open about what happened. So, so when you got back and reunited with your brother after his injury, you sort of glanced over the fact that you saw him degrade quickly. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? And, you know, I, I don't mean like we shouldn't dwell on this just for the sake of dwelling on his experience, but more of like, you know, there's lots of head injuries that happen in adventure sports and base jumping in particular. Um, so, you know, maybe somebody can identify with the, the similar story and, and, and be, you know, watching out for some symptoms like that yeah, or no, recognize I'm, I'm, it in themselves. Yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, that's part of what 22 jumps is, is sort of, you know, kind of breaking down the, like the stigma of talking about it. So, and I kind of say the same thing all the time. There, there was nothing in my brother's behavior that wasn't there before. Right. It wasn't like he was a totally different person. It was a lot of the sort of baser instincts, right? That like quickness to anger, the, the, the emotional volatility, um, the like, like rage management, like that stuff became like his ability to control that, uh, like diminished over time. And so it was, um, where before, cause we, you know, we were, I mean, I was, I was a Marine Corps sniper. He was a recon Marine. Like we're, you know, aggressive, capable guys, you know, but you know, like, like our fights became, um, more like, like fighting for my life in a back alley, right? Like the, the brother sort of sheen of our fights, like kind of like went away. And it was like, it was like, it was like, I kind of equated to like, like fighting Mike Tyson in a back alley. Right. Um, 
and my brother had actually like lived in Brazil for a year at this point and like studied jujitsu. So it was, it became pretty scary uh, to, to be around him. Um, just like be, I kind of like, I developed a sort of a, the guy that I grew up with, the guy that I leaned on and, and loved and I still love, but it, it became dangerous to kind of be around him. Um, and so, but I, I didn't really give up on him. I, I looked for ways to, to sort of be close to him. And that's sort of what well, my, that was my decision to get into base jumping. I was like, okay, well, you know, like my brother's kind of doing these kind of cool things. And, you know, I, I had been climbing for a few years at that point. So I was like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to do base jumping to, to do something with him. And so, you know, I, I, I didn't, I tried my best not to like, cause I kind of, I kind of, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, you, maybe you guys can relate, but I kind of, in my, like, if you had asked me during that time, if I ever thought my brother would kill himself, I, I would have said, no way. He's like crazy capable, crazy smart. Like, you know, he's a special operator, you know, like he's getting a master's degree, like guys killing it, right. Traveling the world, base jumping. Like, there's no way he would do that. Um, but like, I think the signs were there all along. I just, I just was hopeful, right. That, that I was wrong and, and hopeful that it was, you know, just maybe me being a little too sensitive or, or something. Right. Um, but it, it, it got, it got pretty out of hand. I, I had to actually remove myself from, from him physically in order to sort of protect myself. Um, ended up, you know, I had no ambitions to go into contracting, uh, but that was the first thing I did when I graduated my undergrad. I, I looked for like the, the first sort of overseas, uh, private military contracting job I could get. And then, then I stayed gone for like over four years, uh, just to put some time and distance between him and me, assuming that we'd be able to like patch things up on the back end once we both matured a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I would say if, if, if you're looking for signs and symptoms in somebody, like, you know, if, if the rage, I would say if there's, if there's like one thing that's sort of like, I, I think is like common thread through a lot of these stories is if they're experiencing a lot of, uh, more, more downs and ups. Um, and if they're, if they're having trouble with, with rage issues, I would say that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big red flag. You know, uh, speaking of the literature that you sent over again about uh, jump twenty two jumps, I clicked on a, a link that took me to a video, and uh, man, I struggled to uh, to fight back the tears. It was a really powerful video explaining the whole process, and uh, yeah, that's uh, it's so my emotional uh, blathering there for a second um, aside. Uh, why don't we talk about, so how you started getting motivated to, and the, the thought came into like creating this, uh, organization to help fund money for, and awareness towards uh, TBIs. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a do-gooder, you know, at, at heart, you know, um, and it kind of was really bothering me that, well, at first it was bothering me that I wasn't able to sort of get out of this, um, really deep trough, um, that I was in. Right. I think, I think I, I, I went through all of those stages of, of sort of, uh, grief. Right. And I think, uh, uh, one of the, some of the stages I got really stuck on were the stages in which I was trying to basically do anything I could to distract myself, um, without actually really dealing with sort of, you know, the emotional toll that had taken on me and sort of actually wrapping my arms around, like, you know, processing what life would be after my brother is no longer here. Right. Cause I mean, all of my, there wasn't a single life plan that I had had before my brother died that didn't have my brother in it. Right. Marriage, kids, moving, you know, buying houses, traveling, right. They all, they, my brother was always there. And so for have him to be gone, it was a pretty, it was a very difficult process to navigate. Um, having to like rethink your entire life, basically, you know, what it would look like. 
Um, and so I struggled for, for two years, uh, hard anybody. I, and I just, anybody who listens to the podcast, if any of you met me during those two years and that's your impression of me, I sincerely apologize. <laughs> um, I was, I was an emotional wreck. Um, and I was doing a lot to try to distract myself, but, um, you know, I, I lived out of my truck for like two years, you know, some buddies of mine that I started base shipping with, uh, we bought an RV and traveled all over the West and base jumped everything we could and climbed and traveled and, you know, went to Norway, went to Switzerland for the first time. I, first time I'd ever base jumped in, in, in Europe, went to Greece, you know, I did all the things that I knew brought me happiness in, in real time. Right. And I, you know, I, I had gotten myself in a financial position where I didn't have to really work anymore, you know? Um, I, I couldn't like retire and live lavishly, but you know, money was not really a stressor. And so I took advantage of that fully. And, um, you know, I did that for like two years, but I never really processed what it was I was running from. And therefore at the end of all the high fives and the hugs and the, and the parties, you know, those, those, those emotions were still very, very powerful and they were sort of ever present. Um, and so finally I, I was just kind of got stuck. I got, I kind of felt like I was sitting on my hands, right? It was like, okay, like I have, you know, I got to the point where I was like, okay, these, these feelings of like loss are never going away. Right. So like, what do I do with them now? Right. Like they're always going to be with me. Like, how do I use this as a force for good? And, um, it was 22 jumps. Wasn't even my idea. Um, a, a buddy of mine from the Marine Corps, uh, Adam Crum, he, uh, he reached out to me and he asked me if I wanted to do 22 jumps in a day off, uh, off Echo Canyon Moab for, for veterans day in 2019. And I thought it was a great idea, you know, logistically it just didn't come together, but I'm, I'm from Phoenix. And so, you know, we have Camelback mountain right in the middle of the city, uh, right in the middle of the sixth largest city in the world, or in, the, in the world, the sixth largest city in the, in the country. And, um, you know, probably the most jumped object I have. And so I thought, well, I could just do it here in Phoenix. Um, and so it, but it, my intention was not to start a nonprofit organization. I was looking for catharsis. And I was, I was searching for a way to honor my brother, you know, through, through the sport that he inspired me to get into. And I was looking for a way to sort of like just offload some of this, you know, baggage that I've been carrying around for, for, um, you know, at that point, five years. Um, and so, you know, my intention was to only do it once. And, you know, I had a really modest fundraising goal of $2,200 and, and, uh, we ended up raising 17 grand, um, sort of like smashed our fundraising goal. And that was wow. no website, nothing to speak of. That was all word of mouth. Um, and we had a couple of local media appearances. Um, and um, yeah, it was, it was huge. And so and so I, I, I kind of thought that maybe we had lightning in a bottle. So I tried it again next year. And it was we made it, we, you know, we brought in even more donations. And and so that was when I about a year and a half in is when I started thinking maybe this could be you know, a going concern. Maybe we could actually add some structure to this and turn it into like an actual nonprofit. And it's been, it's been growing ever since we've been sort of trying to race to catch up to it. So it's been, it's been a wonderful experience. What does 22 signify? Yeah. So 22 is, um, sort of the estimated number of veteran suicides a day. Um, that's based on a 2012, uh, VA study. Um, you know, some people take issue with that number. I mean, I think before the pandemic, people argued that it was lower, um, but I think some of the preliminary data, like kind of coming out of the pandemic is actually like that rate has actually spiked north of 22 a day. So, um, um, so yeah, that's what the number symbolizes. 
22 is just an insane number of people per day that it just, it blows my mind. You know, like I was talking to Ben when he was over in December and uh, I used to work as a paramedic in Oakland and uh, Oakland, California, and uh, literally one of the hardest parts of the job was picking vets up off the street and uh, whether it was for drug abuse or I mean, just run the full gamut of issues that uh, lands you on the street. It just, it just tore me apart to see that, you know, people who had served their country at even at a very small capacity were, you know, subject to living on the streets after something like that. And it just, man, it was, it was just really a hard pill for me to swallow. And, uh, and Ben, you, you say that like things have gotten better since then, um, that, uh, the VA is, has turned around a little bit and you both are nodding right now. And tell me a little bit about just how the, the state of, of, uh, taking care of our vets has gotten better. Well, um, <clears throat> for my, for my experience, the, Technology has increased to a point now where some of these unseen injuries are now in a certain capacity able to be seen and they're no longer fully invisible. The understanding of the, of what's happening to the brain. Um, and a lot of this is, is a fusion, I think between the NFL and other professional sports where they're looking into things like CTE uh, but you can see it out in Bethesda. They came up with a, a facility called NICO out there, the National Intrepid Center of Excellence. Why they named it that, I don't know. Seems very vague to me. But all they do is basically TBI-related assessment and treatment. And so there, there has been this massive shift towards trying to understand this problem set and create solutions for it that has not previously been there, I think, in the, in the decades past. Uh, you know, I mean, how many guys, if you went back to World War II, Vietnam, Korea, if you went back to all these past conflicts that the U.S. has had, how many guys that were coming home and they're like, ah, oh, he's shell-shocked, were probably, in fact, just massive TBIs that there was literally zero understanding of, and you're talking 75 years ago. So uh, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is the science is, is catching up. And we're able to actually recognize what the problem is. And so they're, they're, it's trying, like, the VA is trying to address it. The military is trying to address it. They're trying to study it. You know, they have guys wearing these little blast sensors on them uh, to, to look at PSI. But, I mean, when I was first taught about explosives and working with explosives, everything was based off of PSI. Everything was what can your lungs and your sinuses take? <laughs> it was actually like a, a point of pride to be close to things. You know, it's like you're trying to get in a door, you're trying to get in a wall. If you're up front and you're setting that thing off, you should also be trying to get in there as quickly as possible. And, you know, Hey, your lungs aren't going to pop if you're 15 feet away, 10 feet away. And I actually had a neurologist explaining it to me. He's, you know, the, the difference in concussive effect between somebody who's being hit where you're having a coup contra coup force, right? The brain's being rattled around in that, in that cranial vault is a lot different than an explosive wave of energy moving through that tissue because the tensile strength of the tissue and the 
flexibility of the tissue can't manage it. And so he said, he was telling me, he's like, you actually have the axons of nerves being snapped as they're whipped. And so both are TBIs, you know, a football player putting his head in and, and taking a hit is a TBI, but they are exclusively different animals uh, when it comes to the blast injuries. So, uh, yeah. Believe it or not, believe it or not, this is the second time we've said coup contra coup injury on this podcast. Uh, I never thought that would happen, but uh, <laughs> it's just kind of coming out that way. I mean, when we had Chuma on, he talks, uh, he kind of opened my eyes about the, I had never even thought about it, but like all the hard openings that he's had, you know, sucking it into the basement, doing all of his aerials. He's getting some, he's getting some real like trauma to his noggin there and they're studying him and it'll be really interesting to see. But, um, if you have a brain injury, you know, going for a long delay slider down may be one of the worst things you could do to, to, uh, yeah, to, uh, continue to, you know, injure your brain. You're not making it better. That's for sure. No. Yeah. So Tristan, um, we got a little bit sidetracked there. Um, so you went out and did these 22 jumps and, um, and then you raised way more money than you expected. So then what was the next step after that? Yeah. So we, you know, we, we started off in Camelback and it's actually the, the only uh, place where my brother and I base jump together, which is why, which is another kind of sentimental reason why I started off in Camelback, you know, not only my from Phoenix, but there's some sentimentality, uh, uh, for me at that exit. Um, and like I said, you know, we, I was, you know, I, I, I was just super excited. And in, in the first go around, I was just blown away by the support, you know, blown away that the news came out. Like I was just, there was a lot of it that was just really surprising to me that I didn't really expect and didn't really plan for. Um, but it, I didn't really, I didn't really start putting the pieces together in terms of making it, you know, a going concern, actually like, you know, incorporating and creating the organization. It's like every single time that we were, we, we didn't handle any money for the first two years we were around and uh, we've been around for three years. You know, we, every single dime that we raised, we we gave directly to, to co-inventions bioscience who I, I can talk about later. It's the organization that we, we raise money for. Um, and so we weren't handling any money at all. Every, every, we would basically direct all funds to them. Right. Cause that was, that was the primary reason I was doing it was actually fund, you know, what I, what I see to be, um, you know, worthwhile research, uh, into traumatic brain injury treatment and, 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 and testing. So year two, um, you know, we did it again at Camelback. Um, and then I decided to try to expand the event footprint. Um, so, uh, I expanded it up to twin falls. Uh, it's, you know, it's where my brother and I both did our FJCs through, through apex. And it's obviously like anybody who knows Basham, he knows the prime. So, it's super, super big landing area, very, you know, kind of uh, light on technicality in terms of, in terms of jump. Um, and, uh, you know, been out there, you know, accomplished the, the event out in Idaho and, and, you know, uh, it was, that was, that was a, a very big surprise. You know, we, we weren't expecting to raise that much. We were just happy to hit our goal. At, at that point, we started had setting a goal of 22 grand, uh, as opposed to 2200. Um, and then we ended up raising 43 grand, um, and in twin falls and they're just blown away. And that, that's largely to, to the efforts of, uh, you know, Savannah Schlegel and, and her mom, Karen Barchi. Um, uh, they, they, they really, you know, did the, the leg work of, of getting the community, uh, support out for us and, you know, local businesses to support. And it was just blown away, you know, uh, by the support we received in twin falls. And we did actually have 
a bridge day lined up and then you know, obviously the COVID, uh, COVID cancellations. So, um, so this last year, uh, was our third, you know, second year, but th- sort of third round of events. And, uh, we were able to accomplish all those events, you know, uh, Phoenix twin falls and West Virginia all in one year. And it has, you know, like I said, we're sort of racing to catch up to what people are wanting us. We kind of added a speaker series, you know, bringing in f- experts in the field to talk about traumatic brain injuries and, and sort of, you know, tell, tell stories and talk about, you know, sort of, uh, over the horizon treatments and testing. Um, and just every, every sort of step we've made in sort of building the organization has been really successful. And so we actually filed the paperwork about a year ago. Um, and we, we became an official nonprofit in March of 2022. And so we, like I said, we were operating for two years without any accounts <laughs> and, uh, with no organization, just, just a groundswell of love and support to sort of make the events work. Uh, but I think it worked out in our favor. Um, you know, I think we learned a lot of, less, a lot of lessons, um, you know, in terms of what works, what doesn't work, um, you know, before we kind of became a going concern ourselves. And, um, and, you know, in hindsight, I think it was the right way to do it. In regards to holding an event or holding, you know, starting a nonprofit or, or what do you mean all, by all the above? Uh, really? I mean, just how, how to hold the events, you know, like I, I you know, I, the, the, the first two years I, I did absolutely everything minus the graphics and, and the social media, which I, you know, social media is a necessary beast, but I, I prefer not to have it if I could do it. Um, but, uh, you know, aside from anything, anything aside from the graphics and the social media <laughs> and the writing, I, I did everything. And that was just, I didn't know what to delegate, um, because I didn't know what was not important, you know? And again, I didn't want to overburden people cause it is a nonprofit. So, um, you know, I got, much better at delegating this past year. Um, and you know, it kind of became necessary because we're, you know, we're expanding our footprint in kind of all directions, right. Fundraising amount of amount of events, sort of pre events, you know, um, we, we, we actually have two pre events coming up at the, the event we have, we, we have an event coming up in, uh, in Arizona on February 4th, but we have two days of pre events, you know, before that. And, um, we have a, a major, uh, major sponsor, uh, Dixon Flannel is doing a co-branded flannel and they're doing like a huge release party. They're expecting like 4,000 people, which is like bananas. Wow. Um, yeah. And like, there's a band coming in, like somebody's, you know, the operation on course comping the music and, you know, like it's just, it's, it's crazy. So like a lot of moving pieces, there's, there's no way I'd be able to do this on my own. Um, and so yeah, it's just, it's been like on all fronts. Um, you know, we, we had our first legal challenge pretty much right out of the gate. <laughs> we had our first legal challenge, I guess, basically as soon as we, as soon as we incorporated, which was funny. Um, and then, uh, you know, just there's basically, there's, there's two levers we can pull in 22 jumps to, to raise funds. Either we, we increase the amount we raise during events or we increase the amount of events we have. Um, and so we're trying to focus on that first one, uh, which is, I think is harder. But I think if we figure out the, the first lever real well, as we expand into other events, you know, skydiving events or, or other base shipping events, you know, I, I think I think everything will be a lot smoother as we roll out those new events. So just learning, learning those lessons, um, sort of by doing everything, <laughs> I kind of know what to look for and how to and how to de- actually delegate. Right. I mean, I've, I ran some of, uh, coaching events, uh, uh, way smaller than what you're talking about, but I can understand, you know, a little bit about, there's a lot of legwork that people don't see behind the scenes that goes into this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. People, it's funny. People think we just like 
you know, do base jumps and collect checks. There's, like, there is an absolute mountain F ton of work that goes behind that, that nobody actually sees. So, so tell us a little bit about what these events are like, like, uh, you show up and, um, you know, are you using packers or, you know, how, how does it, the day unfold? Yeah. So we, you know, we try to front load as many pack jobs as possible. So they're, they're, you kind of, all three events are, are really different and they're, and they're run very differently. Um, so Camelback is, is the more technical of, of the jumps, but you know, it's a big landing area. Um, and the, the hike is, is really, uh, really short. It's a strenuous, but short. Um, and so we, you know, that event, we, you know, try to try to get as much gear, uh, and get you know, pre-packed as possible, right. To kind of minimize the amount of packers we need. Um, and, so you have and, 22 rigs now, is that what you're saying? No, no, actually <laughs> we've been, I've, we've been running the events on, on, uh, personal gear, you know, for, for the past three years, we just in the past two months have acquired, you know, actual 22 jumps gear, um, just to kind of give cool. you a, just to kind of give you an idea of how, how much of a penny pinching organization we are. Um, but, uh, no, so like we front load the, as many pack jobs as possible. Uh, we try to we try to 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 get as many jumps in as possible before midday because even in the wintertime in Arizona the the uh, the thermals get pretty you know the thermals get pretty pr- pretty going and 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 the winds start uh, winds start moving pretty good um, and if you've ever been to Camelback kind of sits in a little bit of a bowl so um, you know the wind the you know it creates a lot of rotors down in there if the winds get high enough so try to get as many jumps in as possible before noon um, and that way we can coast throughout the rest of the day. Um, but it, it takes a village like it, you know, we have a ton of packers that come out. We have a ton of hikers that come out. Um, you know, we have people that show up that just keep me honest on nutrition. Right. Um, and so, you know, make sure I'm pounding water, make sure I'm eating avocados and bananas and stuff and, um, pineapple. Um, and, and then Idaho is, is different, right? Idaho is almost an, an easier event because the, the, the jump is much less technical and the landing area is, is um, not technical at all. Um, the difference is, is that, uh, that the hike is a lot, obviously a lot more, a lot, lot longer, a lot more strenuous. So there you really have to be mindful of your, uh, your fatigue. Um, whereas, you know, uh, but even then it's kind of an easier event. Cause I mean, there's, there was video of me of like, I think this is the first or second Idaho event where I, you know. And I would never do this on a, a normal jump, but I, I was like in one fell, like one fell motion. I was like jumping over the railing and just like bailing, right? Like I just wasn't really spotting anything, just, just going. <laughs> and it was cause I knew it was like, it was going to be fine. Right. It's the bridge, but Arizona, like it, it, you're, even though the, the actual like physical output is less, it's a much more like exhausting day. Cause you, you can't really do that. And, and Camelback, every jump is like uh, you have to go through your actual mantra and be like, okay, like winds are coming in this way. What time of day is it? Okay. You know, how did that last jump go? What gear am I flying? Okay. You know, like, you know, what are my emergency actions? If I have a 180, you know, no, bam, 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 there you go. Right. And then you have to, you have to walk yourself through that every single time. When you get like high teens, early, you know, low twenties, <laughs> it's taxing. I mean, you're, 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 you're pretty spent. Um, and then bridge day is, is kind of just a, as a really fun event and it's, we've only done it once, but we're, we're really excited to go back there. We, we have a lot of support, um, from Fayette County. And, and I think it's, a, I think it's an area of the country where we can actually make an outsized impact in terms of maybe possibly like providing services to that, to that community. Um, anybody who's not familiar with Fayette County, um, West Virginia, it's a, it's a very impoverished part of the country. Um, and, you know, running, 
my, my wife couldn't be there who typically runs the booth. Um, so I had to do, I did the opening jump, which was cool because it was the Marcus Ellison who actually, you know, runs the base jumping operations for, for bridge day. He, he gave 22 jumps, the opening jump just so happened, uh, that during two years of, of COVID cancellations, the, the status of the new river gorge changed from like a natural or uh, national river to a national park. And so just like happen chance that the opening jump for bridge day ended up being the first legal base jump in a national park in 42 years. Um, and actually we didn't put that together until like a month before the event. And I was like, Oh shit, that's pretty badass." <laughs> so we kind of talked that up a little bit on social and, right. but that was it. That was, that was the only jump I, I was able to do. I did the, the opening jump and it was like, peace guys, I gotta go, I gotta go run the, I gotta go run the booth. But it was, it was, it was interesting running the booth in West Virginia. Cause it's obviously like a really impoverished area. And so we were, we were co-located with Cohen and they were just swamped with people who were sort of asking for services, right? Like, hey, my 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 dad, hey, my brother, hey, hey, myself, you know, like I had this injury and I've never gotten treated, but like, you know, my this has gotten worse, or like my, you know, this, you know, this behavioral has popped up. And, you know, they're they're a research institution. They're they're not a they're not a um they're not a like medical provider, right? And so they were, they were sort of just like, you know, trying to like direct these people as best they could, but it kind of, the light bulb kind of went off in my head. I was like, you know, I, I think it's, it's an opportunity for 22 jumps to actually like bring additional value to that community. Um, so that's, that's sort of the stuff that I think about. Um, but in terms of the jump, it's, it's, it's bridge day, right? Like you can't do 22 jumps. One person can't do 22 jumps. So it ends up just being like a really good time. Um, you know, six or seven dudes who would be there anyway, just do, do jumps for the cause. Right. And, and that's a, that's a pretty low stress event for us and, you know, low, low impact, big reward in terms of, you know, that, that event. That sounds rewarding, giving back to that community, but also setting precedents for jumping in a national park. I mean, uh, that's super commendable because, you know, if, if there is a future for jumping in national parks, it's going to be set with uh, an example like this. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like I, just the conversations I was having after I, I knew it was significant. Right. But standing on that platform and like you have like a thousand, you know, a couple thousand people counting you down. It's like when you like when that countdown starts, you're like, holy shit, I cannot fuck this up. <laughs> not that <laughs> not that you would, but, you know, it, it definitely it definitely gets to you. Um, yeah, I don't care who you are. You I mean, like uh, maybe I may I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I. I, I'm I'm very confident at Bridge Day, but like I as the countdown got closer to to, to zero, I was like, "Am I confident? <laughs> am I good? Am I gonna do this as well?" Those um, butterflies turned into pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, but like after the event, I I you know we were um I, you know we were approached like all day with like the leaders of that community, and they were just like really excited to have us there and really excited it went well and like they're like they're excited about the national park status and they're excited about the prospect of you know having base jumping there like full time and for us to be like a shining example of like what that looks like right like like to to be the representative to have our little organization represent the first base jump in a national park for two years and to nail it and then to to also like immediately turn around and like try to add value in that community i mean for people like for people who live in West Virginia, that means everything, right? To, to show like that, that genuine level of like care and that genuine level of like, oh, they're not just outsiders coming in and doing Yahoo stuff. Like they're, they're going to come back next year and they're going to continue to try to like bring value to the community. And like, that's, we're just really excited to go back there. 
Ben, you took part in, uh, have you taken part in more than one event or one event I know for sure? Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so the the original one that I went to was last year at Camelback. And uh, like I said, I, I thought the goal was like, go as hard as you possibly could. Because of course, another Marine explained the rules to me uh, here in San Diego. So it was like, oh yeah, we're just going to go as, as fast as we can for as long as we can. Um, and then... Uh, we did get to do a uh, probably shouldn't. I'm not. Sh I haven't cleared this on the set, but we did get to do a demonstration parachute jump into Bridge Day, uh, which was awesome. Got to bring the American flag in there uh, with another guy, and just to see again to to parrot what Tristan is saying to see the outpouring of support, not just for that event, but for 22 jumps there was amazing um you know you had the army out there base jumping for the first time too which i think is officially officially in army uniforms and i, I got to speak army parachutes army yeah. parachutes and so again in, in that vein of i think base jumping has probably been crawling out of a hole as far as legitimacy goes especially in the united states for a long time it's been clawing out by its fingernails and uh i'm really excited to see what the added value and legitimacy of having organizations like the like 22 jumps the army you know like getting us back into potentially in the national parks i mean could you imagine a 22 jumps event off half dome because i can and i want to be there <laughs> yeah I so do too. i so do i that's um like quite um, a tool for uh, getting people to join the army, right? Like you got some people uh, thinking that they're going to join the army and learn how to base jump. Um, that's uh, that's. You're not lying. It's a possibility because <laughs> I mean... they're doing it. I mean, it's total possibility. I mean, like you go any any exit point USA, like chances are you're going to have an outsized representation of the military there. You know, absolutely. You. Um... I see. I feel like, as someone who hasn't served in the military, like when I'm going on base jumps, when in a small group, like we're you know facing adversity and climbing to the top of a mountain, and we're all in it trying to survive, but also having a good time. It strikes this chord inside of me that like this is what like my DNA was meant to do. Like this is like me as a human being is thriving. This is the environment for me. And I think that guys like you, you know, like to a, another level even have sought careers that fuel that sort, same sort of, you know, those genes, that, that DNA that's telling you to do these things. Um, did you feel like base? I mean, Tristan, you gave us your example, but like Ben, did you, do you feel like base sort of helps to fill a void like that? Yeah. Or am I crazy? No, Absolutely. I think that the parallels run deep between the kind of things that you can experience in the military and the kind of connections that you make with people are absolutely, I mean, when, when Tristan was sitting there talking about wanting to make, you know, memories with his brother and, and have these connections with his brother. Uh, I mean, the reason I started base jumping was my grandfather used to take my, my brother and I to, uh, to the Warren Miller um, state theater, showings every year and one year cold fusion i think i was 16 or 17 they had a, a cameo in the ski film 
of uh, Andy West and Dave Barlia. You know, it starts off with the bells and Lauterbrunnen and Switzerland there. And, and then next thing you know, it's like heavy metal rock music. And these guys are jumping off this cliff. And, and I remember my grandfather sitting between us and leaning out and looking at my brother. And it was like, that's what we're doing. This is someday when we have money, we're going to do this. And I can't even, I can't even probably count the number of fast friends I've made. I mean, perfect example. I'm sitting here talking to you, you know, met you during an extremely challenging time in my life because this sport comes with costs and uh, you know, and these friendships you strike up where you are quite literally looking out for people's lives. Uh, Yeah. I mean, if you want an adventure sport, there's, there's nothing that, tops base jumping there's nothing that will um i mean i'm sure there's things on par with it but nothing tops it it's true that these like super intense moments sort of distill people's personalities uh you can't really hide you know when you're when you have to deal with some of these like super highs and then the super lows like there's there's no hiding your personality during those moments and so uh it's quick to to either know that that's not somebody you want to associate with or become super good friends. Have you had moments like that too, Tristan? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, for me, it's, 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 it has been especially, well, I'm not comparing it to anybody else, but I mean, it has been remarkable to me. Base jumping has been a continuation of like my time in the Marine Corps. Cause I, I, my, my primary driver uh, to getting in the base jumping was, was to kind of follow my brother and, and to build memories with him. And, you know, without going into too much detail, it, it didn't really pan out the way that I, that I, I wanted it to. Uh, we were sort of already, you know, we were already kind of building that rift between us. Um, and he just did kind of just didn't let it happen. Um, you know, kind of just put up, well, keep that as short of short of story possible. It's just kind of sad, but, but, um, you know, in, in the process of getting into base jumping, I, I, I brought in, you know, uh, four other people, um, that I knew from the Marine Corps into base jumping with me, three, three from my old battalion. Uh, you know, so there were, there were two of us, two of us from the same platoon and one other guy from, from the same company. And then another guy, another corpsman from, uh, from another infantry battalion that we, you know, had, had deployed with, um, you know, all in base jumping at the same time. So I, I it was like, you know, I, and I think, I mean, to kind of like kind of story arc here, but I think that's, that's a, 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 that's a struggle that a lot of veterans have, right? You have these like really intense experiences and you build this, like, this, like the sense of camaraderie that you don't, you can't ever, you don't ever really think it's going to end or you don't, you're not really thinking that far ahead or mostly because you're like in your early twenties, you don't really think really that far ahead, but like you're, you're having these intense experiences with these people and you're building this sense of camaraderie and then it's, and then it's over, right? If you get out, it's, it's, it's over, right? And, and like, you're, I think a lot of what we're seeing in sort of this acceleration of veteran suicide is, you know, people just missing that camaraderie, missing that, like everybody moving towards the same mission, you know, that like everybody's, you know, everybody around who's got your back kind of feel right. Which just does not exist anywhere really outside of adventure sports. I've found, um, you know, climbing and, and, and base jumping, especially, um, so base jumping has been in, in a wonderful experience for me. I, I get, I, I didn't have to break that, that stride of building intense memories with these people, right? These, you know, like my, like my buddy, uh, Adam Crum, you know, I've known him since I was 19 years old. And like, I was, I was a combat replacement to two, one, 
you know, waiting to go over. And like when the Purple Heart guys from Fallujah One started trickling back in and he was, you know, I, I met him as he was like pro- in processing back to the States as a, you know, as, as a casualty. Um, you know, I met him when I was 19 years old and, uh, you know, and I, I've been building memories with him through base jumping, you know, for 20 years, you know, well, I've been building memories of them, you know, but we both been base jumping for about, a, for about a, a little over a decade. So, you know, so it's, it's pretty incredible. Like I, I can't, you can't, I can't really describe it or encapsulate it. Uh, like what base has given me, especially in ten, in terms of like having that sense of camaraderie and having that sense of like, this guy's got my back. If this goes sideways, like I know I'm good, right? Like I might be busted up, but like these guys got me, you know? And that's, yeah, these, you, I, I haven't found it anywhere else outside of the military and outside of, you know, adventure sports. That, um, the whole team dynamic and, and leaning on your buddy reminds me like, you know, I spent, uh, well, lived in Chamonix during what a lot of us consider the golden age of wingsuit base. And, there was always like the hair stood up on the back of your neck when someone rolled into town that was rolling solo. Like you knew there was something was up and either it was just somebody that was, you know, on a tight schedule and, you know, and found out later that maybe they had contacted some of the locals or something like that. But the majority of the time when someone was rolling solo, it was always a red flag. And, uh, I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit about from your experience in the military and experience of base jumping and other adventure sports, is, is there a difference between personal safety and team safety and the yeah. approach to those? Well, I, I mean, I mean, Ben, you want to take this? I, I have, I have some, I'm I'm a little long winded. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm always cognizant of how bad my microphone probably sounds and, for for everyone listening, I'm sorry. I didn't buy the thing that Lowe told me to buy. I bought something else. I'm not good at this. Uh, team safety and personal safety. Uh, an old guy told me one time when I first got into a platoon, he said, um, the power of the wolf is in the pack and the power of the pack is in the wolf. And I think at a point when you get around people long enough, uh, depending on the, you know, it's, it's something that comes with time, but I think at a, at a point you stop distinguishing between the two, um, and maybe even start preferring to incur personal risk to ensure the collective safety of the group. Because I mean, you just, I know you're uh, for at least for me my my brain has gone to weird places before you know you start to get to you, you know guys families or you, you live with guys like i at one point I had a platoon mate and his wife uh renting the room in the bottom of my house and we're on deployment together and stuff's going down and you're like if he rolls around the corner and something happens i gotta go home and talk to Kristen. that sounds worse than just rolling around the corner myself like you know your brain's just doing these weird calculuses or, or at least mine has so uh i think that's uh, gonna gonna be different for each person but i think you get to a point where depending on the people it's kind of the same thing your safety their safety the threat that your brain assesses becomes the same 
my personal feelings. What about you, Tristan? Yeah, I, 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 I sort of to echo a lot of what Ben said. I, I'm, I, I like that the, the, the pack is, is, uh, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, but I like what you said. I would, my, I was going to open it with, you know, sort of like the team is, is greater than the sum of its parts, which I think is the same thing. Right. Um, like in individual safety, like, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're out there doing solo jumps, you know, like you, you had better like have your, have your shit wired tight. Right. I mean, um, unless, unless you have ulterior motives. Right. And like, I, you know, I, I, like one of the things that in base that I have really identified with out of the gate was that like sort of radical self-reliance. Right. Um, you know, in, in the kind of everything you do. And so, and I, I have found they kind of subconsciously that like I can sort of recognize when other people aren't necessarily have that same mindset. And so I'll sort of just, Hey, I'm just gonna take a wide berth on that group, you know, because, because ultimately I, I'm not the kind of person that if something goes wrong, that I'm just going to ignore it. Right. It's just not how I'm wired. Like I'm going to get involved. I'm going to make sure that person is, you know, like the, the, I'm gonna make sure that situation comes to like the, the best possible outcome, you know, within my skill set, Right. Um, uh, and so, the best thing I can do, especially in some of those like larger events is just sort of like, I like sort of identify who maybe isn't fully prepared, you know, and it, and it blows my mind. Like people, you know, they'll show up to Arizona and they'll just have no idea <laughs> like what they have no idea. Like, you know, I, you know, where the landing area is or like where, you know, like, you know, we'll, we'll go to superstition and they'll be like, is this, you know, how tall is this? You know, like, did you, did you do no research before you came up here? You just followed the group, didn't you? Um, okay. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me explain this to you. And I'll never not explain like sort of an exit point to someone. That's just kind of what you do. It's just like the culture, but like, there's a, there's a difference between like, Hey man, can you give me like a, give me a rundown on this? And you kind of like can assess a level of competency. And then someone who's just like a deer in the headlights and they're just like kind of overwhelmed. Right. And that's a very different thing. And like, that's kind of like, that's, that's always been really alarming to me. It's cause like, for me, it's like, okay, you're up here and you're not, you're not mentally prepared. And so I'm guessing that translates into physical preparedness and probably I'm guessing you're not physically prepared to do this. So I'm guessing there's, you know, I'm guessing, so I'm now I'm questioning everything, right? Like, you know, how good of a camp pilot are you? How good are you at judging conditions? Right? Like all these things that I can't explain to you on an exit point, right? I just have to assume that, you know, right. But now it's like, okay, like now I have to be account, I, I have to sort of keep an eye and be accountable you know, to this person that I don't know who should have been a little more prepared before they got up here. Um, and that's just, that's just something that I've, um, that has obviously kind of popped up, you know, throughout base jumping for me. And, you know, and, you know, I, I would never go on a base jump that I wasn't like, you know, like either like very comfortable with, or like very knowledgeable about, or I, or I was with guys who I knew had my back and to just put yourself in that situation and be and to kind of like, throw yourself <laughs> kind of like Jesus take the wheel. Like I just assuming that these strangers have me and I'm like not prepared at all for this event. Like it's, it's sort of alarming. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if, if you're, if I think if you're, if you're solo, if your personal safety and sort of your personal preparedness is good, then I think that sort of acts as like a natural filter of who you associate with. Right. Um, and so I think, I think if you find yourself sort of being unprepared and sort of sloppy, then you're probably going to find yourself around other sloppy people. Um, and that's probably eventually it's going to come up and, and sort of like catch up to you. Truth. Whether you have to be involved or whether you, you, you are the one having to be cared for. So, yeah, I think anybody who's been around this game for a while has been in that position. And I feel like the older I get and the longer it's been, the more selective 
um, of I am about the people that I choose to jump with. And uh, we've talked about it quite a bit, but, um, you know, just having those conversations can be pretty difficult, right? You know, like you don't want to shit all over somebody's dreams of becoming a base jumper or being a base jumper or, you know, doing their first 2000 meters wingsuit sky, uh, base jump, whatever. But there's a fine line too of like how much you're willing to put yourself forth to, to be on, on their team. Like my next question for you guys was if you thought that base jumping is a team sport, but I think I already know the answer. It's like really your personal approach to it, right? It's like, are you looking out for the guys around you and will go to very deep ends to, to take care of them? Or is it just sort of like a, eh, yeah, they're cool. Like, let's go hang out. And if they get fucked up, like, it's like, I can call a rescue and, and, you know, be on with my day. Um, no, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I originally misunderstood the question a little bit. I would say between going solo and going, going as a group, always choose to go as a group because you get to share it with people. And then you have that added security. And it's like the old saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And, uh, no, I think, you, like you said, and, and Tristan mentioned it, and I thought it was—I thought it was funny, because, you know, he said, "Now I'm responsible, or now I'm accountable to this person." It—it—it's—it's it, it's a built-in thing in base jumping where you're like, "I'm up here with this person. I don't know them, but I'm assuming that if something happens to me, they're going to expend every last resource they have to help me, and vice versa." It's kind of like. I don't know, touch of the gloves when you go into spar or like slap of the hands when you go to do jujitsu or something. It's like, there's an agreement here, right? We both, we've made an agreement, you know, we're going to do this together. Right. I mean, that, that agreement goes unspoken towards with people that have um, a certain level of, um, I don't know, righteousness in their approach to the sport, but I don't think it's should be gone, gone without saying, right? Like we shouldn't assume that everybody's on the same page. Uh, I'm not saying that you guys do, but um, I, you know, I've, I've witnessed and have seen and heard people who are just, you know, in it for themselves. And, you know, that, that, that's okay. Like, like you said, radical self-reliance and there's a, a certain element of radical freedom in base as well. So, you know, if people want to practice that way, you know, more power to them, I just don't want to be on the load with them. Uh, so, and you know, I, I kind of mentioned, I kind of very briefly mentioned at the beginning of this, like, you know, that my acceleration, my, my progression into base was very fast. Like I, I, I almost definitely was like, you know, probably someone's problem, you know, in, in like those first few months. Right. Cause I, I was just, I was trying to jump as much as I could. And I was, I was getting in over my head very fast, you know, because like I was, you know, I, I had a goal in mind, right? So I, I'm not I'm not saying that from a standpoint of righteousness. I, I I'm saying that because I, I lived through it, and like I like I look back on some of those like you know first couple dozen jumps, and I'm like, oh man, I was a, <laughs> you know, I was I definitely was a liability, you know. Um, you yeah, know. same here. I mean, I say that too, and for sure, I was that guy that people didn't want to jump with because I was so hungry to be, you know, wingsuit base jumper on some of these amazing exit points. And you know, looking back now, uh, a huge survival tool was luck and mm -hmm. uh, good bone density. 
right. knowing, how to, knowing how to roll out, knowing how to roll out of a fall helps out a lot. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, as we're on this topic, like I got to admit, like when I first heard 22 jumps and that you guys were making 22 jumps out there, um, is it a good idea? Like, I, I mean, the first thing I thought of was like, they're trying to raise awareness about TBIs and there's probably a good chance one of them will get one, uh, trying to make 22 jumps. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a fair question. Um, you know, I, like I kind of said earlier, you know, I, I would, my, my initial response to that would be to sort of parse out what the individual events are because they, they are very different. Um, and, you know, I, I think maybe the one that you're referring to specifically is the Camelback one. It, it is a solid object. It is a low desert cliff. I mean, it's 240 to impact, you know, 400 overall. You know, all of the things that you just on paper, you would say that, yeah, that's probably not a very good idea. But, um, you know, I think I think there are I think there are ways to to minimize the risk in one person doing 22 jumps. Right. I think if, if you're taking it just like sort of a sort of very bold, like, you know, taking a dangerous state, doing it 22 times and adding fatigue to that, right? Is that a good idea? I, th I think if you stopped there and that was the totality of your analysis, I would say, yeah, that was like, not a super good idea at all, you know? Um, but I think if you if you sort of layer the fact that, like, I probably have, you know, 200 jumps off that object, just, just, just that object, um, you know, I'm very familiar with it, is very overhung. You know, like the the landing area slopes away, so like your landings are typically, if the winds are, are agreeable, they're typically very easy. Um, you know, it's it's it is in terms of like a solid object jump, it is a very mellow jump, nice long you know downhill runner, kind of puts you in that nice position already. And there's, there's a lot of things about it um, that that sort of I, I would say you know make it a less risky solid object jump. Um, and you know, I I think. I think if you're going to like do a total analysis of it, I think if, if you keep the mission in mind and like what we're trying to accomplish, right. Cause it, you know, I think, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, any one of our events that raises the most awareness, I mean, doing 22 base jumps in the middle of the sixth largest city in the country, you know, and having those kinds of eyeballs on us, they're doing it. I mean, it's, it, it gets people's attention. Right. And, and I think if, if it, if that's the whole point, right. Like, base jumping trends to grab eyeballs and we're, we're not, we're not a base jumping organization designed for base jumpers, right? We're, we're using base jumping as a platform to raise awareness and fundraise, you know, for those who are, who are non-base jumpers. So in terms of like, do I think 22 jumps is a good idea for a fundraising tool? I think it's an excellent idea. Um, and, and I would go, I would take it a step further and as a, do I think 22 jumps is a good idea for, for like, in terms of the optics for base jumping, I would say the proof is in the fact that we have, you know, we're now coordinating with the city of Phoenix. You know, we're, you know, we have local governments that are excited, excited for us to come to town, you know, Twin Falls, the you know, town of Twin Falls, the, you know, the county, Fayette County uh, Chamber of Commerce, you know, these, these are the people that we have conversations with and we coordinate with for our events um, and that we tie into and we, we make the extra effort to tie into, right? We're not, you know, we're not kind of running a kind of a gutter punk operation. You know, we're, we're, we're we try to be very transparent and we try to look for opportunities to add value outside of base jumping, right? And I think that that connective sinew um, to those communities, I think, is going to do nothing then uh, but improve the the sort of the optics of base jumping. So I, I think I think I've been touched on it earlier. I think you know base as a legitimate thing has been trying to crawl out of a hole that you know, I would say that 
a lot of Beijing emperors have, haven't really done any service to sort of like aid, right? I think there's been a cultural sort of knee-jerk reaction to lean into this like uh, sort of bandit gutter punk, you know, version of base jumping. And it's great and it's fun. And I, and I was definitely there and I, and I, you know, I used to high five about it and, you know, I've snuck around in, in you know, major cities all around the country and, and jumped and had a great time doing it. Um, but I think as, as the sport continues to grow and sort of as the, as the number of preventable injuries continues to grow along with it, I think, I think there's a real risk of sort of, um, you know, base jumping, not putting its best foot forward. Right. And I think organizations like 22 jumps that sort of, you know, are, can be sort of a positive face for the sport, you know, doing it for something other than, you know, the like pathological, you know, pursuit of self aggrandizement, you know, we're actually like doing it for something other than just our selfish wants and needs. I think, I think it, I would say it's necessary to be perfectly honest. Um, so do I think base jump, do I think 22 jumps is, is a good idea? Um, I think, I think, you know, is it riskier than a normal base jump? Yes. Uh, do you, are there ways that we can minimize that risk? Yes. You know, and we have built an organization that, you know, that has designed to figure out ways to minimize risk, right? Like bringing in Ben Patassi, right? Like we have someone on the board, you know, we have a, we have a, you know, we have Ben Patassi who's an expert in minimizing risk at parachute demonstration you know, events. You know, we have a golden knight on the board, Dusty Gebhardt who is the same for the army, you know, and even the non-base jumpers, right? Like we have investment bankers, we have, you know, you know, consultants for, for, um, Boston consultant group. These guys are experts in minimizing organizational risk and in financial risk everything, every, everything that we do, every decision we make is through the, through the lens of minimizing risk. Um, and you know, we've built a nimble organization, which anybody can raise their hand and say, Hey, that's not a good idea. Right. We need to do X, Y, and Z to improve that or to avoid that. Um, and, you know, we are continuously improving. So I, I think the risks are manageable. And I think the reward, not only in uh, uh, using it as a fundraising platform, but just like to improve the optics of base jumping to non-base jumpers, I, I think it's a I think it's a great idea. Having done it, you know, uh, you're definitely a little more tired the last t- 10, 12 jumps. But. Uh, I felt like Camelback, you know, being that solid object, but um, like Tristan was saying, being a short hike, <clears throat> mentally, physically, I felt pretty fatigued in just my legs, but mentally I felt fine as I, I didn't think it was going to affect my thought process at all. And I was, I was, you know, messaging back and forth with uh, Miles after that. I was like, how many jumps did you do off the Perrine? And that, that that dude did like 54. I, I, again, I know it's a different object, but he did like, like 54. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, to me, that put it in perspective. He did a pretty much double more than double. Right. So, I mean, let's, let's it's also miles. right here too. miles is an extreme outlier in all regards. <laughs> no, that's absolutely. It's no, yeah, there's no uh, arguing otherwise that he's not, you know. Uh, but that's wish. the record for one day is Miles' uh, 54 jumps in 24 hours. Is that right? I mean, don't, I have no idea. Don't quote me on it. It might be more than that. It might have been like 56. Uh, I, I remember that it was over 50. I remember being very disappointed that he'd beaten me by so much when it, when he, I heard the number. It was definitely over 50. Uh, 
All right. So you were tired physically, but uh, I mean, jumping has like acts like caffeine in a way, right? Like your uh, your flight or fight response gets keyed in real quick when you're standing at the edge of a cliff, and uh, that fatigue can uh, can dissipate. At least that's the perception that I have. Oh yeah. Um, where I mean, you guys, we talked about this earlier about, you know, looking out for your buddy and being part of a team. Um, did you guys have to slow anyone down or did you have to say, like, tell anyone to stop or any of that? So, so I'm sure Tristan's got more to say about this, but in, in that same vein of safety, Adam Crum was up there as the safety guy uh, with other people also stepping in and helping out. But I mean, he did just a phenomenal job. and there there was somebody up there i don't remember the guy's name i wouldn't say it anyways but there was somebody up there who was kind of like taking a second and then adam was just like hey man don't go just chill like go have yeah. go down go down hike down it's a short hike go hike down take a second if you feel better then come back up if not and i don't know whether or not that guy chose to jump but there's definitely uh, no stigma at a 22 jumps event of, of, you know, don't puss out, man. Don't puss out. Like, no, if you don't feel a hundred percent good with this, like you said, we are here to combat TBI. We are not here to make more of it. So yeah, yeah. There, if you come to a 22 jumps event, there will be none of that. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can, I can vouch for that. I mean, you know, I, I think over the years, we've kind of gained visibility, at least I would say, at least in like the American base jumping team. Um, and this past event, I think the, the event that Ben's talking about, there was there was a guy there, a young guy, and I could tell he was a little nervous. And then and I was like, hey, man, like, you know, just encourage. I think I was like, I was well into the teens at this point in terms of jumps. And uh, I had already, I already had passed him like three or four times. And I could tell he was just like really pensive about the whole thing. And I was like, hey, man, like, everything okay? Like, you feeling okay? And he's like, yeah, this is my first cliff. And I was like, huh, okay. Well, let's uh, let's take a second and talk about this, right? And I, I totally, I basically just, like, paused 23 jumps for, like, five minutes. And I was like, yeah, let's, talk, let's go over here and talk about this, you know? I explained the whole landing area to him. And he was already, like, kind of middle of the day. And I was like, you know, this is definitely not the best time to jump this, you know? Like, if you wanted to do it, like, either wait till sunset or come early tomorrow, you know? Like, I'm happy to come with you if you're... And he's just like, yeah, you make it seem so easy. And then I was, and I said, well, I mean, I'd probably jump this 200 times, you know, <laughs> so, you know, over, over, you know, 12 years. So you have um, more jumps on that particular object than he has altogether. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I used to own property like down the street from it. I used to wake up every morning and go do, that was like my morning routine was like, go jump Camelback, you know? Um, cause I, I could walk there. Right. So, you know, like, so my, my point to him was like, Hey, like, don't, don't, take don't look at me and use me as like a guiding post for like your decision making like you know I've, I've been doing this for a little bit and you know i've def i know this object like particularly well so and this was all covered the night prior we had a you know tristan led a, an extremely thorough in-depth safety brief we talked about actions for the following day and that that's the way that these events are are run they're run like a military operation there's a briefing people should be on the same sheet but that one that one uh that one-off factor that you have is you have people coming to take part and you're not gonna necessarily turn them away so you know for anyone listening that wants to come take part in a 22 jumps event remember that at some point there is going to be no 
delineation between you and 22 jumps if you come to an event and, and do something silly so please yeah. take that please take that into account when you're when you're doing you know jumps at these events yeah that's a really good point ben yeah i i wasn't going to use this this platform as like a as like a psa but if <laughs> if you are listening and you are interested in coming to the event you know i mean last last year was bananas man like i think i think we, we did the head math on it, like sort of the back of the napkin math and i think we, we like just in just jumps, 22 jumps and non 22 jumps. I think there was like over 200 jumps that count back in a single day. And I would say the conditions weren't like ideal, you know, well, like they definitely well. got pretty squirrely midday um, to the point where we were like putting like we were sort of like kind of chasing lulls and and, you know, not 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 so much as a twisted ankle. Right. But like that, it was just great because like on the one hand, like Ben said, like people were just kind of coming out of the woodwork to support. Right. But on the other hand, it made our logistics like much more complicated because I, I did have to take those pauses and sort of like, hey, who are you and how, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, you seem really uncomfortable. Like, you want to talk about something for a second? You know, mm -hmm. and like it definitely like and then that, that certainly was a thought in my mind. I was like, oh, great. Like this, this, you know, e even if this guy not associated with 22 jumps at all, nobody's going to care about that. They're going to see somebody gets hurt at a 22 jumps event. And so we're, we're taking steps to sort of, uh, that's, that, that's, a, that's a learning opportunity, right. right? And we're taking steps to, to, to mitigate that, um, sort of like making jumpers, you know, readily identifiable during the events and, and sort of asking people, you know, uh, professionalizing the operations, asking that people like, Hey, feel free to come by cheerlead, but like, you know, you know, can't tell you what to do, but like, I want you to keep in mind that, you know, we are running an event that is very high profile, you know, especially this year. Right. It's exactly. land. You can't just say, Hey, no, you're not allowed to come up here today. Right. But you could have like a, a wristband or, a, you know, vouching process to like say, you know, officially have them part of the event. I, I mean, this gets squirrely with lawyers and yeah. whatnot, but I'm sure you guys are on top of that, but yeah, I could see the challenge of, of, of hurting those cats. Yeah. And, and we do have conversations organizationally about Camelback. And I, and I think maybe, you know, if, if there is an event that's on the chopping block, it would be Camelback. Um, I'm just very sentimentally sort of tied to it. Um, but, you know, as as these things continue, as the organization continues to grow, I mean, I, I, I brought the people in on the board that I did to challenge me on things like that. So um, so if it gets to the point where, you know, we're going to make we're going to integrate things to mitigate that sort of confusion and sort of gaggle that we had last year. Um, and I don't, anybody who showed up last year, incredibly grateful you were there. Like, awesome. Like, like, you know, I think at one point we had like 70 people. I think at one point we had like 70 base jumpers there. Not even, not just people, like 70 base right. jumpers, not to include wow. like the 20, 25 spectators. And if anybody's ever been to Camelback, like putting a hundred people down there in the LZ, like it's a lot of people, <laughs> you know? And like, there was like, you know, people were like, you know, sitting on rocks, like using them as like bleachers. And it was, it's crazy, you know. Um, you know, so thank you for coming out and thank you for supporting. Um, but yeah, we, we are going to sort of like keep things a little sort of delineated between like, hey, these are like event people and these are non-event people. And if sort of we, and if we see non-event people who are maybe like a little less experienced, uh, you know, we, we might you know just ask, right? Can't make you do anything, you know. But maybe that like, uh, you know, have the uh, the the situational awareness and maturity to sort of recognize that maybe just uh, maybe wait a little bit. Or show up early, one of the two. What about people that want to take part and uh, maybe haven't had the experience of uh, pushing themselves physically and mentally? Like uh, from your guys' experience, is there any tips for them, like uh, how to prepare? 
be physically I went, fit. Yeah. <laughs> I went, I went, I calculated the vertical, uh, on that climb. Obviously, like Tristan said, it's an intense climb. It's, it's, a uh, like probably what is that? Is that a category five climb? No. Yeah. It's well, a five, like a, it's a, it's a five, six. Okay. So there's spots where it hits five, six. Um, I just calculated the vertical and then was going out on the weekends for a couple weekends before with a speed wing and, uh, going for speed and that amount of vertical on, um, a local hill and just flying down. So, yeah. I mean, do something like, yeah, do something run. first. <laughs> yeah. Run, you know, squats. I mean, like I, I I'm pretty fortunate. Like I, I got a lot of low end torque, you know, um, I just have that, like, just kind of good, that grinding gear. Um, you know, if you have that, like that definitely helps, you know, uh, if you don't have that, like squats, run, you know, <laughs> lunges. Um, and I would, I would say that if, if, if you've never, if you haven't combined endurance with canopy flying and you really want to be a part of 22 jumps, um, I would say that twin falls is the event for you. Um, they, if you're not in shape and you still want to be a part of 22 jumps, come out to bridge day, right? We'll, we'll, we'll bring you to the fold. There'll be like six or seven of us. We'll have a great time. It'll just, it'll just be like a normal bridge day experience for you other than like, you'll be, you know, done and kind of doing the jumps for us. Um, and there's some, there's some benefits to jumping at bridge day, like, um, that we give the jumpers, like, you know, some swag and we, we kind of pay their entry fees and things like that. So there's, there's some incentives there. Um, but if, if you want a physical challenge and you've never really combined, um, sort of endurance and, and can't be flying, I would say, you know, uh, they aim for twin falls, um, and just get a really good sense of what that's going to be for you. So, you know, at the beginning of our recording, you were talking about searching for catharsis. Do you, have you found it? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, and, uh, yes. The, the, the short answer is yes. The long, the long answer is, you know, I, um, like I said, I, I wasn't, um, I didn't even know if I was going to find it. I was just sort of grabbing at straws. Um, but the people who are closest to me, they, they, they see, um, what 22 Johns has done for me personally and emotionally, um, and, and mentally. And, um, and I'm, I'm better for it. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I, I, you know, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to, to have an outlet like a 22 jumps, you know, after going something through something like what they did, um, uh, you know, something like, like losing a brother and, and the way that they lost him, you know, and most people don't have that kind of outlet, don't have those opportunities to sort of off gas or, or, or find that catharsis. And, you know, the fact that I, you know, might, I was able to take a goofy idea and, and kind of turn it into what it is today. And, um, you know, I, I'm a better person for it. I'm, you know, yeah. Yeah. The answer is yes. Good. So, um, what's next for 22 jumps? Oh man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, there's a, so one of the things that, that, and I'm sure Ben would agree, um, you know, traumatic brain injury or, or is a huge part of, of sort of, you know, uh, uh, sort of a, a mosaic of problems that sort of are, are, are leading to, uh, um, to veteran suicide. You know, one of the things that, you know, gets less airtime because it, it's just, it's just not as sexy to talk about is, um, sort of the social determinants of, of veteran suicide. Right. Um, and that's you know, alcoholism. That's, uh, 
you know, that's financial stress, you know, one of the big, you know, one of the, one of the big contributing factors, my, my brother had a massive traumatic brain injury and, there, and I don't want to diminish that at all, you know, but one of the things that he was also struggling with was, was, uh, was an immense amount of financial stress. Um, and, and that, that added to a lot of just sort of his overall, you know, inability to, 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 make a correct valuation on what his life was worth, you know, and in that moment. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's a lot of the problem, right. Is, is that, you know, we, a lot of these guys and gals get ground down, you know, being, being pulled away from that tribe, you know, being pulled away from that purpose. Um, and, you know, they sort of like, they lean into, you know, unhealthy lifestyles, uh, in order to cope with that. And, you know, it just, you're kind of burning the candle at all ends. And then, you know, you, you kind of have a moment of weakness or, or like a, you know, prolonged period of weakness and you're, you're not really making a, a correct, uh, judgment of value on your life. Um, right. Cause I, I think to make that decision to, to end your life, you know, when you have family and you have friends and you have people that care about you is, is that you're, you're really making a miscalculation on, on sort of what your, what your life is worth. Um, and so one of the, one of our ambitions at 23 jumps is to actually stand up sort of our own research institution to, to sort of do some of that peripheral research outside of, um, you know, uh, Cohen veterans bioscience to, to actually like dig into some of the social determinants of, of, um, of veteran suicide and suicidality in general, and, and sort of, you know, put good research out there in the world and, and, you know, kind of have that dovetail into some you know, educational opportunities, potentially spin out some products, support some products uh, that might, that might help, you know, future service members and veterans sort of navigate those, those um, times of great distress. So that's sort of, that's one of the big ambitions um, sort of um, on the fundraising advocacy um, part uh, in terms of operations, uh, you know, we have ambitions to sort of branch out into skydiving events. You know, I think, I think we're sort of at the, at or near the ceiling uh, for base jumping events, you know, uh, I'm in communications with, uh, you know, with some, with some people in Moab about kind of doing a different style 22 jumps event in Moab. The problem with Moab is it's like, it's just so far removed from any major population center and, you know, uh, internet connection spotty. And, um, and so doing an event that like the kind that we do is just problematic, but I am pretty convinced that it could be done a different way. And, and we have some we have some people that are pretty enthusiastic that uh, are going to try and put something together uh, for this November. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of have podcast ambitions on our own. I, I kind of took the opportunity for this podcast to, to buy like a podcast mic and headphones. So we'll see. I I, I wouldn't say that I'm like the best. Uh, you know, I don't know if if I had it my way, I I would just kind of be the guy in the background making it work, and I would just let somebody else be the face of it. You know, because I, I get way more joy in like you know, building a strong organization and like setting, you know, my success has sort of ba always been based on like other people's success. Um, and so I, I would, I would, if I had it my way, I would just, I would just be the guy in the background making sure everything worked, but yeah, but you're articulate and you have a personal connection to this story and your enthusiasm about it is infectious. So, um, yeah, I would, I would suggest you continue doing what you're doing because, uh, it's inspiring and no, I know, on, on, I know. A, on many levels. Um, Thank you. you know, like I'm looking here, it says like where you're going and, um, you're talking about doing some parachute experiences and training. Um, so are you looking to train, uh, vets or 
people of the public as well in, in parachute sports? Yeah, I, I would say that's our biggest stretch goal. Um, just because I, the way that I would want to do it, I, I would want to, I would want to do it like with sort of property that, that 22 jumps owns and controls, right? Like I, I would want to like own a house in twin falls and like own some land with, with the, with the, with the, you know, some structures on it in Moab and to be able to create that, that closed loop environment on, on, you know, cause you know, I, I joke and say that like the way that I learned how to base jump, I mean, I went to an FJC, which was great. I went to Jimmy and Marta's FJC, like, you know, like, you know, it's a shame that Jim is no longer around, you know, I miss him, but top notch training. Right. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of FJCs that are top notch. So I'm not saying that I learned incorrectly. What, I, what I'm saying is I hit the gas pedal too fast. Um, and so, but I, you know, some of the buddies that I got into base shipping with, we, we, we just kind of like are in awe of the fact that we have continued to stay close through our teens, our late teens into our thirties, right through because of base jumping um, and because of skydiving. And so I think long-term ambition is, is to, is to be able to fundraise uh, enough to be able to, to sort of bring people through that, that kind of experience in a very, like what we perceive to be like a very, like in a way that they would most like, you know, absorb, right. Kind of like a continuation of that, like military style training and like kind of build in that camaraderie, like right out of the gate. So they don't have to experience that, like that drop off in that tribe. Right. It's like, you're just switching tribes. You know, you don't have to like, you don't have to go through this, like, you know, somewhat sometimes like agonizing process of finding that next tribe. Right. It's like, you know, kind of, uh, giving people the opportunity to, to, you know, get into parachute sports, um, and experience some of these things in a, in a very safe controlled way and sort of like, you know, showing people that you can, you can have that, those really strong relationships and experience those really strong things with a tribe outside of the military. Um, and so that's, that's sort of a stretch goal. It's, that's a sort of a long-term ambition, um, that, you know, we're kind of like, it's very much in the ideation phase right now. That's cool. I like it because I think that there's, I mean, a vast majority of the people who have base jumped get in it to experience and they're sort of like, you know, depending on uh, whatever things they've got going on in their lives or if it really speaks to them or not. It's, you know, they, they have a jump, they do a couple of jumps and, you know, in a few years they're done. And this way you sort of like can shepherd people into the sport in a very organized way. And even if they find that it's not for them, they can still be in the periphery. Cause I know, I mean, there's a lot of people that like just want to hear and talk and be around jumping and get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity for that there too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's sort of, that's sort of what, what that ambition is. I think, I think there's, there's, a, there's going to be a lot of growth and milestones sort of like in between now and then, um, that, but that, that's sort of like the stretch goal is like, cause I ideally, right. Like you would, you would sort of get, you'd be able to influence people like day one in their parachute career and, and sort of like instill in them the kind of the values that we sort of like lead with in 22 jumps. Cause like, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Like I, I, I was, I was pretty, you know, I, I, I was pretty underwhelmed, um, like in, a, in, in some ways when I, my brother died, cause I was, like I said, I was living full time in Afghanistan for like four years. And when I got the call, so my, you know, I, I had a little bit of time and I would base jump on, on leave and whatnot, but you know, my base jumpers were way down. So, but my, I was sort of socially removed from base jumping for a while. And so when my brother died, I, I was like, I kind of like 
you know, I was like searching for like, oh my God, like, you know, like this, I'm having some like really sort of like crazy dark like thoughts and, you know, and I'm, I'm really having a hard time dealing with this. Like, let me lean into this, like this community that, that I thought, you know, would really have my back. And like kind of what we're saying before, like on a jump, got your back, you know, like showing up to a campfire and being like, I'm going through like some really terrible, like emotional stuff. Like, um, it, it was, it just wasn't really, I wasn't kind of getting, and I think it's a product of like sort of who I was with or around, you know, at that time. Um, but I wasn't kind of getting the, the sort of the, that tribal emotional support that I, that I thought I needed. And so I, I was, I was at a place where I, I was kind of, I was becoming at peace with sort of separating myself socially from base jumping. Um, and so I, I think base jumping, I'll, I'll base jump for as long as my, my body works, but in terms of like, um, associating with base jumping socially, I was, I was sort of like coming to peace with kind of ending that chapter of base jumping for me. You know, one of the sort of peripheral effects of, of 22 jumps is like, it has been that filter of like other base jumpers that think the way that I do and that, that think about community the way that I do. Um, and that think about safety the way that I do and that, that advocate that, you know, that radical self-reliance, but in a very pragmatic way, not in a sort of dipshit, like, I'm um, crazy. And, you know, like, doesn't matter. Like, you, you guys all know the type I'm talking about, but you know, like radical self-reliance as a, as an ethos. Right. And like, and sort of the follow through and like actually like living that, um, and like, just, you know, recognize it as doing it, using it as a tool to like do something for something other than yourself. <laughs> and so, I, it has been like a wonderful filter in that regard. And so like, I've sort of, I feel like 23 jumps has become like a little sub community sort of within base jumping, um, you know, full of people who, uh, who feel very similar, similarly to the way I do. So yeah, it's been great. Well said. Um, well said. And, and I think you touched on a lot of points that really inspired us to, to start this podcast and continue to do it. And I think that, it isn't a static object, right? This isn't a static state for base jumping. You know, we're a sport in its infancy and we're evolving and uh, it's efforts like yours that are going to continue to push the needle in that growth. And uh, so I, I thank you for spending time discussing what you're doing and, and all the efforts that you're doing. It's really excited to see and hear and, and talk to you further about all this that's going on and uh, all the best for your, your events in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You know, for those that are interested, you know, we have our, our events are typically end of January, beginning of February, and then uh, Memorial Day weekend in Twin Falls. And then, you know, Bridge Day is the third weekend in October. So if you're interested, you know, uh, 22jumps.org, uh, we have a volunteer intake sheet, you know, always taking volunteers. Um, you know, jumpers, we, we, we scream pretty, pretty, uh, pretty heavily. Um, um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to sort of get close to the organization and sort of prove yourself you know, other ways if, if, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, no, yeah, thanks for having me and, and really excited, uh, to, to be here. Great. Uh, so why don't we just plan on, um, doing this again after uh, your next event and, or whenever you feel it's, uh, it's uh, appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we have a, we, there's actually a lot in the works for the, for the upcoming event in Camelback. So we'll have a lot to talk about, um, sort of after the fact. So yeah, happy to do so.
cool. And I know there's a lot more of the background stuff about the research and, and some of the doctors you're working with and everything that I'm really curious to hear about. Um, and Ben will have a better mic for the next time too. <laughs> I absolutely will. I apologize, everybody. <laughs> thanks for joining Ben and I uh, really appreciate both of you. Yeah. Thanks, Lo. Yeah. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Exit Point. As usual, big shout out to Mark Stockwell for his co-production and editing. We love you, man. And everybody out there, please don't hesitate to reach out. We love hearing from you. Take a look at our socials and our email links in the descriptions. See you on the next one.